Canada Hoops is proud to be part of the Basketball Podcast Network. Find Canada Hoops and other great basketball podcasts at thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com. The Basketball Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. And now, Canada Hoops, hosted by Maddie Ireland. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Canada Hoops. It's your boy, Maddie. Thank you for your continued support. Please keep downloading and sharing us. We are also part of the Basketball Podcast Network, so you can hit us up at thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com. Our awesome guest today represents Morel, Prince Edward Island. He is a former Morel Marlin UPEI Panther, Lakehead Wolf, Maine Red Claw, Boston Celtic, Perth Wildcat, and he is currently the head coach of the Salt Lake City Stars in the NBA G League. And of course, he has coached teams all throughout Canada basketball. Make some noise for Coach Scott Morrison. Scott, thanks for joining us on Canada. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Oh, well, that's that's kind of you to say, but uh, yeah, man. Just uh, I know we had tried to connect a little while ago and life and busy uh things for everyone i think that was when you're heading down to perth but uh how are things man let our listeners your fans the canada basketball community know how you're doing man yeah things are going good um you know it's been an interesting couple of years since i left boston uh learned a lot on and off the court uh, a lot about basketball a lot about life and uh i think we're in a pretty good spot right now in terms of both um we moved to Salt Lake back in September. I have two kids. Uh, my son Max is three and change, and my daughter Shay is one and a half. So they're getting going to the things they need to get going in in, in Salt Lake. My wife's happy, at least right now. So um, that's all you can ask for. All, all I need is a basketball court and a team to, to work with, and I'm happy. So it's been going pretty good. The Jazz are a elite organization in terms of, of, of working for them. Right. Um, I mean, Boston was great too, but I feel like the Jazz are really trying to make a push with the new ownership and um, to try and be a, a destination that maybe free agents, players, and coaches and so forth will want to um, go to. And uh, I think Salt Lake is not the first city that you think of when you think of free agents and where they want to go, but I think that they're, they're really trying to show that at least the people that they have in in-house that this is a great place. You could treat it well and uh, be a nice place to stick around. And then maybe the word will spread. So I'm hoping I'm getting in at the right time with those guys as they try to make a push. And, and uh, obviously um, Danny Ainge and, and coach Hardy are, are proven winners. So uh, I'm sure it'll be not too long before the whole, the whole group's winning. Yeah. I noticed uh, like, if you look at Instagram or Twitter, and obviously I follow the jazz, um, there is a lot of excitement, and they got off to a good start. Uh, as you mentioned, the new ownership. Um, it does seem like a, a really bought-in group of players. That's nice to see. Um, I wanted to ask you just, um, you know, 
do you have to run the same stuff, like the same system that Coach Hardy is running? Is that the idea? Is that you're doing with the Stars as well? Well, it's similar to how we did it um, back when I coached the Red Claws in Boston, um, or Maine, excuse me, with, with Boston before they called me up. And basically that is we try to run enough stuff the same so that guys can go back and forth, players that is, and not have to learn a whole new system, but also to do some things that are different so that we can try them out, we can experiment, and maybe down the road be something that the big team will will adapt or adopt, I should say, to um, their system. So we've been doing a little bit of both. And um, as the season goes on, we add little things here and there, and I'll, I'll report back to the to the Jazz coaches and, and mainly Coach Hardy on maybe something that's working well for us that they might want to look at. And most of that stuff will be done probably in the offseason, but there has been a couple things that we've talked about. So it's nice as a coach you want to just, you know, have – intelligent basketball conversations and, and and arguments and and challenge each other and that's how you learn the fastest so um that's what i'm trying to do help myself learn and help help the other guys too what um like what's been your approach from the coaching standpoint because obviously you want to win and you want to have uh, wins on your resume and for you know for your job and your career but you're you're trying to help the players you know get to the get to the jazz or get other opportunities throughout the league? Like how do you, how do you balance your needs and their needs in that role? Well, my needs are to keep my job and hopefully get promoted. So I'll right. do whatever they ask me to do. Um, the G league is an interesting place. It's there's good and bad points to it in terms of our purpose. Our purpose is obviously, like you said, to help the players improve, to help guys that might be able to help the big team later on. Um, and that's ultimately what you're going to be judged on. The wins and losses are not important, really, in the in the big scheme of things for the G League. But all of us are competitors, as you said, and um, we wouldn't be at this level if we weren't trying our best to compete and be be at our highest level every night. So it was a bit of a balancing act there. But I, I found in uh, <coughs> excuse me, I found in Maine. The Celtics told me the exact same thing. They didn't care if we won or lost a game, but they cared about the culture. They cared about the you know routine of the guys. Are they are they learning how to be pros? Are they learning how to be um, on a track to improvement? And by taking care of those check, we ended up winning a lot of games because of it. So um, we've taken the same approach here. We didn't have a great start to the season in Salt Lake. We lost a lot of games, but stuck to the the course and what our goals were and. Um, here we are late in the season, uh, having, I think we've won 11 of our last 13, um, games and we're in the playoff race. So it's fun from that standpoint, but also it shows that I think we took the right approach in trying to establish a good, a good foundation for this season and, and future seasons. Yeah, that's cool. I noticed that you guys are, are playing well. And, uh, as of recent, uh, recent game, won the last two, and then you're playing, uh, OKC blue again tomorrow night. Um, and just kind of you're back in North America after the uh, the job in Perth. Um, I know Perth was a little difficult just for you and your family. So it's got to be, it's got to be good to be back in North America and just coaching these circles. Eh? Yeah. Just from a basketball standpoint, it's nice. Um, we, we love Perth. We're never going to find uh, a nicer place than Perth. And I'm a pretty big uh, Prince Edward Island and a summer guy. Right. Um, but Perth was just another level, you know, being on the beach and, 
you know, the bright blue water and the, the climate. Um, so we loved it from that standpoint. Um, obviously, we had some family things that we had to take care of and come back to North America for, the, for those reasons alone. And then uh, got lucky to get this job right away and uh, hopefully be back in the NBA before long. But um, when you go through some things in your personal life, um, your outlook on, on life and your careers can change a little bit. And that's what's happened to me. I feel like when I left Boston, I was all about moving up and getting the next thing and the next stage of my career. And then turns out maybe that isn't the most important thing in life. Um, so being able to work at a high level for a good organization, um, being able to be, you know, an active coach and at the same time, making sure that your family and your kids are looked after that's, now become the main goal. So I think we're pretty lucky to have gotten this spot. And I'm very grateful to uh, Coach Hardy, who kind of replaced me in Boston, to be honest. I didn't know Coach very well or at all when uh, I left um, the Celtics. But um, we have a lot of mutual friends, obviously, and, and uh, Danny being involved with Utah didn't hurt either. So I'm really grateful those guys gave me another shot to get back in. And um, as uh, Coach Fisdale, who's – in our front office in Utah likes to say the whole, your goal is just to stay on the bus. So I'm just trying to stay on the bus and, and maybe get an aisle seat here in the next year or two. No, I love it, man. And like, that's good to hear that uh, you're getting uh, a good opportunity right away. And I know the Canada basketball community and fans, you know, they're, they're happy to see that uh, things are working out for you, man. I was hoping we can run it back. Tell us about a, a young you growing up in Morel, man, just what was life like and, you know, what sports did you play and, you know, how, how did the game come into your life, man? Yeah, well, I, I came about it honestly. My dad was a, a college coach or a university coach, as we – he's both, I guess. We say both in Canada. Yeah. Um, at UPEI first for 20 years. That was my youth growing up. Um, my heroes were the guys on his team. Uh, most of those guys were from – you know, Toronto, Boston, New York, um, Montreal, the bigger centers. And uh, he was a great recruiter. So he had some good teams over the years. And that was kind of my um, home, just, you know, going to the gym every day with him. You know, I started as the little chubby kid who would uh, sweep up the – or wipe the sweat up if someone fell, you know, with a towel, um, get the balls that were – rolling off the court and then I ended up being the chubby kid who was the manager and the video coordinator in high school. And then I ended up being the chubby kid who was the point guard for five years um, when I was old enough to play. So I uh, kind of did all the jobs possible um, as everyone who's probably listening knows it's not a, it's not a big budget deal in, in the youth sport. Now it was CIS. Right. Um, so everyone has to chip in and you end up getting a lot of experience at various roles. So I felt like I had a lot of, kind of staff experience or coaching experience before I even got a chance to play for my dad. Um, and other than that, I played baseball. Baseball and basketball were my two things. I probably should have stuck with baseball. I was, relatively speaking, a better baseball player than a basketball player. Um, but I had the love for basketball. Um, and I love being around the teams. And my goal was to be uh, to play for my dad in basketball and then uh, eventually try to be a, a pro player. So um, I focused on basketball a lot. I still played baseball right up until Canada Games. At the time, Canada Games was age 21, so it was a pretty good level. Um, but I just couldn't I couldn't let go of basketball, so I st stuck with it. And um, 
graduated from UPEI, planned to go overseas and play. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, you know, Kevin Pangos or anything like that, but I, I could play a decent level over there. This was like around 2000. Um, so internet was just getting going. Right. Um, I went over to Germany to try out for five teams. They, they split the cost of my flight. And the deal was if one of them signed me, they would reimburse the other teams. Um, That's wild. Well, it was like it was like Division Two, II, Division Three, Germany. Um, some small towns, some unique experiences. And in the time I was over there, just trying to figure out how to communicate with home, and I had never lived outside Prince Edward Island, so it was a bit of a culture shock. But it was a good it was a good month for me over there. I had two or three offers, and quite frankly, just chickened out, chickened out of the lifestyle. Um, I kind of took solace in the fact that I had an offer to play. Kind of at the time, I was like, well, I proved I could be a pro player. Um, but in hindsight, it's not the same thing. Um, I can't say that I was ever a pro basketball player, even though that was my goal. But I think from a coaching standpoint, it was probably for the best because I got back to school. I went to Dalhousie to do a, a master's in business. And after that first year of school, Coach Carolyn Savoy, who was uh, ended up being a good mentor of mine, um, asked me to be her assistant. So my second year of grad school, I was her assistant. She told me early on that she was going to take a sabbatical and she was going to trust me with the head coaching job my first year out of school. Um, so that whole season with her, I just recruited and learned as much as I could. And it was a great experience that not many people get at age 23, 24 to be the head coach at the university level. And um, if I hadn't come back, I wouldn't have got that chance. And that was kind of what set my career in motion, so to speak. Uh, you mentioned baseball. You're wearing a Blue Jays hat. Yeah. Uh, the- I love the Jays too, and it's spring training time. Uh, did you have a favorite player back then, or a favorite team? Like who did you who did you rock with in baseball, man? Yeah, I don't actually like the Blue Jays. Um, oh, okay. Um, which I realized when I turned the, the computer on and saw the hat on. It's the only hat I brought, but I, ma- I had red shoes on, so the um, Maple Leaf matched my shoes. But I was always an Expos fan. Oh, okay. Um, we would my family would drive to Montreal every summer, probably for ten years growing up. And we, my dad and mom would pick a homestand where they have two or three series in a row. And we'd stay, we'd trade houses with a, with a family friend. They would come to our house in PEI. We would stay at their house in Montreal. And we went to every game, like 10, 12 games, and then drive back home. So we were literally at the, the Olympic Stadium before the doors opened, trying to be the first ones in every time. Um, trying to get autographs, you know, before right. the games, every game. Um and we did that for, like I said, for years. I probably saw 70 to 80 Expos games. And my favorite player was always Andre Dawson. We had the same birthday, July 10th. Cool. And then when he moved on, it was uh, Andres Galarraga. Um, and life life's funny. Our equipment manager in Salt Lake right now is also the equipment manager for the Salt Lake Bees, which is the Angels AAA team. Okay. And I was telling him the story about the Expos and how to get autographs and I said Tim Wallach was always the hardest autograph to get, the third baseman. And Tim Wallach's son was playing for the Bees, so he's going to get me his autograph. Uh, Full circle, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's funny how everything ties together, but those are great memories for me. Those are some of the best best memories growing up. And um, I could never cheer for the Blue Jays because I was so diehard Expos. I felt like the Blue Jays got all the attention um, in Canada, and I was jealous of it. So uh, when the Expos left – I was also a Knicks fan, and I hadn't seen a championship 
in my life for any of the teams I cheered for. So I said, screw it. I'm going to cheer for the Yankees. I like Derek Jeter. I was a shortstop. Right. And I think the only one, one or two since, but at least I got a little taste of a fan championship um, through them. And um, yeah, no, I picked my hats based on trying to match my shoes normally, which I'm not sure if that's something I should be repeating out loud or not, but. Uh, well, I have seen your shoe game is really good, man, on the sideline. Uh, I don't think I don't think other coaches can match that. So that's uh, if if our listeners want to check that out, man. Scott's uh, Scott's shoe game is pretty good. Uh, and then with the basketball, man, like you're around the Panthers all the time, learning from those players, um, and they would probably be obvious role models. Did you have any other players you really admired at that time when you're working on your game? Like whose game did you like? Well, it was interesting. My favorite player was Patrick Ewing, um, so I didn't get a chance to model much of my game off him. I I tried to model most of my stuff off the guys on the Panthers, to be honest. Um, right. Daryl Glenn, who's the head coach of UPI now, was the best ball handler I'd ever seen when I was a kid. And uh, I spent a lot of time with Daryl when I was young, um, really looked up to him. So it's pretty cool that he's back now coaching UPI there, and they play at the Nationals as we're taping this tomorrow. Uh, right. So I'm really rooting for them. Um, we had a we had a guy named Mike Morgan at UPEI who's from Toronto. He still lives in Toronto now. His son's recently finished playing college, I believe. And uh, anybody in the Toronto high school scene that's over the age of 40 would know who Mike is, maybe a little older than that. Um, they used to call him Bumsy. He was a, a Toronto high school legend. Um, Peter Gordon from Oshawa was another guy that I looked up to. I think he was a three- or four-time All-Canadian. Cool. Most would say he's the greatest ever to play at UPEI. We didn't share many of the same athletic traits, but uh, shooting-wise, I like to look up to him and watch him shoot. Um, so those are the guys that meant a lot to me. And um, back in those days, my dad's teams would travel in a 15-passenger in a van. So he would pick the van up. I'd be with him, and I would sit in the front seat, like at the front uh, – like the front bench seat. And as the guys got onto the bus, they would just pass me back over the top of the, of the seats yeah. to the very back row. So right. I was on the spare tire with, um, you know, Daryl and guys like Dennis Airwolf Smith of, of uh, Toronto fame as well. And they would teach me everything from, you know, one-on-one moves to the message that public enemy was given in their songs to, you know, girls and stuff I shouldn't have been hearing and stuff that probably helped me a lot. So yeah, yeah, that's how I grew up. Those are my, my big brothers and the guys I looked up to the whole time I was, I was growing up. That's cool that, uh, you know, you just had that opportunity and just getting to be that gym rat and having um, those players right in front of you. Uh, I wanted to ask really quick about high school. Um, I know it was kind of, you played at Morrell, but a uh, small school, you guys had some success, uh, I know you were named uh, all-league all-tourney in your grade 12 year, your number one team in the province. Um, you know, what do you remember just playing in, at that level and just, you know, really trying to make a name for yourself perhaps? Yeah, I mean, we were a really small school, not much of a basketball program to speak of. Um, a couple of the bigger schools in PEI, which also would be very small compared to the rest of the country, um, used to try to get me to go transfer, you know, for grade 11 and grade 12, but we had a nice little group of friends that played baseball and basketball together in Morrell. Morrell itself is a population of about 300 people. So we're pulling from the outskirts, the farms and, and things like that. So we were, I was just really proud to try and help put Morrell on the, on the small, small map of PEI basketball. Right. 
Um, I remember we got ranked number one in the province one year. It was a big deal for us. And I remember trying to be the Fab Five. That was when the Fab Five was pretty popular, and we had the, the black T-shirts for warm-ups and the Air Max and uh, the baggy shorts. And, yeah, we thought we were pretty – we thought we were pretty uh, – Pretty cool, um, the Marlins, the Merle Marlins. So um, it was a great experience, and obviously you're still friends with a lot of those guys. It's funny how you make those friendships early on in your career through sports, and then you don't ever really leave them, even though you go on and do all these different things. And um, those guys that you played high school with or played played baseball with when you were a teenager are still your your go to guys when when things come down. Yeah, that's cool. And then. Uh... You know, was it always going to be playing at, at UP, UPEI for your dad, or did you look at other schools thinking, oh, maybe I got to get out of the province? Like, uh, or you just knew you were going to go there? No, I knew I knew I wanted to play there. I, 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 at the time, Ontario had grade 13, and a lot of the right. guys were going back for an extra year, like grade 14. I remember my first year at UPEI, my three roommates were all um, freshmen, but they were two years older than me. Um, so I, I had wanted to go to prep school in new England for a year just to try and get older and be more on, on the same level as the, as the guys that were coming in from Ontario and Quebec. And, uh, I remember I had an academic scholarship to UPEI that I had to accept or decline. And the prep schools that I was looking at were happy to take me for both basketball and baseball. So it would have been a great experience, but my parents at the time said, we can't pass up the scholarship. So if UPEI won't defer it for a year, you got to take it. Um, in hindsight, it was four grand. So it wasn't like it was like a six-figure scholarship or anything like right. that. But it, it was a lot of money for, for us. Um, so UPEI wouldn't defer it. I still remember the people, the, 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 the uh, register who wouldn't do it. Um, so I was forced to go to UPEI, which I was happy to do. But I also wanted this experience to try and make myself a little bit more ready. Um for the next step, but ended up being great. Um, one of my best friends was my roommate that year, uh, a guy named Craig Emus out of Burlington Pearson. And that year was the only year of the five that I played that we, we had a winning team. We were, we got ranked a little bit. We lost in double overtime in the conference final. I didn't have a big role in the team, but I played a bit every game. Um, so it was something that I wouldn't have got, I guess, if I went to prep school and that was probably a silver lining. Um, I went on to have a pretty, good individual career, but a pretty bad uh, winning percentage. So um, in hindsight, you, again, you learn a lot as you get older, but I probably would have approached things a little bit different um, and tried to play a little bit more of a winning style. But I was pretty happy to be jacking threes and and uh, and playing freewheeling too. So I had fun. Um, would have been nice to win a few more games though. Are you still the conference leader in all-time three-pointers made? Does that record – still stand i have that note here yeah i could i could pretend that i didn't know the answer but i know for 100 percent that i am um nice I, I check every year if someone's gonna pass it uh there's a guy on saint mary's excuse me a guy on dal right now who's i can't remember his name i apologize if if anyone knows him um but i was watching the the, the conference tournament dal played upei and i was just watching the stream before one of our games down here and uh they talked about his three-point shooting so i looked him up and he he might be a threat in three or four years so uh, okay. get the box on one out get the triangle on two out see if we can see if we can contain him um just to wrap up upei scott like looking back now uh many years later like what did it mean to 
play there and how, you know, obviously your dad had such a tremendous career there as head coach. Uh, you know, when you're doing that at the time, maybe you're not really fully aware, but looking back now, like what, what does it mean to you uh, to have played there and then played for your dad? Uh, I mean, it means a lot. I mean, I'm, I can still remember the first game where I put the jersey on and, you know, it sounds kind of corny maybe, but uh, for the way I grew up, it was a big deal for me to see see that jersey on. And then just to get a chance to play in the – back then it was the Metro Center. I think it's the Scotiabank Center now in Halifax in front of that crowd. Um, and the playoffs was something I grew up, you know, dreaming about. So um, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but – having seen some of the success that a lot of Canadians have had in the global and North American scale, maybe my goal should have been a little bit higher, but coming from a, you know, small farm and fishing village in, in PEI, that was a pretty big accomplishment for me in my mind. And uh, I'm definitely proud of the chance that I had to play. And um, I know the three point record doesn't mean much in the big scheme of things, but it's a little, it's a little piece of uh, that you leave behind. And so, it, you know, you're proud of, that accomplishment. I wish it was a, a championship banner hanging in the field house, but it's not. So I'll take what I can get. Um, but hopefully Daryl and the guys can hang a couple more, um, you know, in the next few years. Uh, you should be proud, man. I mean, you put the work in and that's a good conference. Like that. Um, I don't know if people fully realize like uh, it's youth sports now, but uh, the AUS has a, obviously a deep tradition of really good basketball there. Uh, and, uh, so that's that's a big accomplishment. Um, you know, you start your coaching career, and you're learning under uh, Dr. Savoy there. Uh, just talk about that, and you know, really how the coaching journey kind of started for you. And you know, did you think you would always be a coach? Like, was that sort of in the in the back of your mind? Yeah, I think I did. I I, I remember in my early years at UPEI telling someone that I wanted to go to the coaching institute in BC. Um, and I knew a lot of coaches were coming out of there at the time. It was kind of the hot place for um, youth sport coaches to get hired out of. So I said, this would be a good spot for me to go and 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 learn. Um, the Dalhousie thing kind of happened by fluke because I had known Coach Savoy through the NCCP program, which I'm not even sure still exists. Um, but she taught level three or whatever it was, and I took the class when I was still playing. So I was going to uh, – Kind of my whole career is just a lucky break after one after another. I was I was working out in the weight room at Dow. It was in April. I was planning to go see Tim McGarrigal, who was the men's coach at Dow, and ask him about volunteering the following year with him. And as I'm walking to his office, Coach Savoy bumps into me by accident and says, I would mean to reach out to you. Would you be interested in coaching? And we talked for a bit, and I chose to do that. Not that – Coach McGarrigal wouldn't have been a great experience or whatever, but he had like four or five assistants already. And uh, Coach Savoy didn't have any, so she was hiring two new ones. She said I could recruit and coach and get a lot more experience. So I said, screw it, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I didn't know better taking a sabbatical at the time. I just wanted to get involved. The other assistant coach that she hired, I believe she had planned for him to get to take over the team for the year following he was a bit older and had more experience. Um, but for reasons I won't get into, he was, I think, eliminated pretty soon. He didn't finish the season. So I was the next choice. So I got lucky to be there at the right time and get that experience coaching the girls that following year. Um, at the end of that season, so 
again, as luck would have, or as bad luck would have it, Coach McGarrigle was let go while I was um, an assistant. So the year I was interim head coach with the girls, uh, John Campbell was hired with Dow at a Laurentian. So John and I became good friends that year. It was his first year, obviously my first year coaching. And, um, you know, we hit it off. We had a lot of road trips and things like that together. So we became really good friends. The season ends, Coach Savoy's coming back. I didn't really want to work for her again. I just I kind of wanted to just do something different because I'd already been through a year and I learned and there might be some awkwardness there because some of the girls hadn't had her and I recruited them in. Right. Um, so out of respect for her, I was like, I'll try to find something different. And I applied for, I don't know, every woman's job that was open, a bunch of grad assistant jobs in the States. I couldn't get anything. And I applied for the Lakehead women's job in February of that year. Didn't even get a response. I'm telling John Campbell about this after the season. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was going to go work for him or I still had a chance to be the Mount A women's coach at the time. Uh, Mount Allison was a college in, in Sackville, New Brunswick. So, so the men's job at Lakehead opens. And John says to me, why don't you apply? And I was like, why would I bother applying for that? I couldn't get an interview for the women's job. And he said, well, put your, thing, put your application in. This time, put me as a reference. And turns out John's AD at Laurentian, where he was for years, was best friends with the Lakehead AD. Uh-huh. And he made a call. And John's dad, Peter, was very well respected in the OUA. And between John and Peter, they got me an interview at Lakehead uh, for the men's team. They had offered it to three other people who all turned it down. Um, I know I know the names of the people that did, so I'm very grateful for them for not taking the, the position and uh, showed up at Lakehead. It was the second their second round of interviews because basically everyone they interviewed first turned it down. So I was in the next group, and um, I think I was told later that, that Tom Ward and the AD hired me because he figured if I messed up, my dad could always come in and help fix it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And which he was partially right. I messed up lots, but my dad never came in and fixed it for me. Um, so that's how I got another break with Lakehead. So um, that was kind of two big breaks that I didn't see coming. I got lucky. It was the right place at the right time. And um, that's kind of how, how I got going. Lakehead was a, a real struggle, but uh, eventually we turned it around and that was a way for me to get to the next thing. What did you try to uh, really implement at Lakehead uh turn the program around and um like what was you know what was your thought process there well my first first thought was i was going to just get the most talent i could get whether it be a transfer whether it be american guys whether it be people that you know maybe got kicked out of a school somewhere else as long as they could play i was going to try to get them and that was a quick way to get some wins i think my second year we made the playoffs um but it quickly went went to Went to crap, uh, as we might. I would never say the word crap if it wasn't on a podcast, but it went to shit. Um, we, we can swear it's fine. Okay, yeah, I went to shit. Yeah. So my fourth year, I, I believe my fourth year at Lakehead, we had made the playoffs once, and it was going going bad, and it was you know guys were getting into some trouble, and um, it wasn't a good looking team that the fans would want to come out and support. Like it wasn't a great example for kids and things like that so i was like all right we got a clear house i had two years i had signed a second contract so i had two years left and i remember saying i got okay i got a clear house here and start over with high character guys our only chance to be successful is to build a good foundation where eventually we can get one of those transfers or or americans or whatever to come in and help us get over the top but we got to have the foundation there so a cleared house brought in i think 10 rookies we went one in 33, I want to say, 
Wow. We had, we had one win over McMaster. I wanted to mention that just in case Coach Razzo ever gets wind of this. Um, I think he follows us. Yeah, so yeah, we gave him a good a good ass kick in one one game. Uh, nice. Lost the other thirty three games. Um, <laughs> and it was a really tough year. It was a really trying year on everyone, but those guys ended up getting better and better, and we invested in them, and they and they ended up winning a a, a Wilson Cup and OUA championship their last season. So it was an awesome story for them, and it was a great lesson for me that um, there's no substitute for character and player development and and things like that especially at the canadian university level where you know there's no one and dones it's it's a it's a grind and and you have time to 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 build it up so that was wasn't the approach i took at the start but it was the approach i ended up taking and um you know just trying to compete with a team like carlton at the time just trying to get into the same conversation as them uh studying them you know i used to love the weeks that we played them up until game time, because I love, you know, scouting them, getting the chance to just really dive into their stuff, seeing what they do. And then, of course, the fun would end as soon as the ball went up. But I learned a lot those weeks. Um, and the biggest thing we learned from following Carlton was that player development was number one. And we figured out a way to fundraise more money and uh, get the guys jobs in the summer. So we had like a 10, 11 month program going. And that was how we kind of sustained that success for four or five years as we right before I left. Well, you you know you you did win the OUA in 2011, and uh, you went to the national championship in 2013. Uh, you were a top five program from 08 to 13. Um, you left it in good hands, so there's lots to be proud of. So then, the main job comes up. So how does that that start for you? Yeah, another lucky break. So taking a page out of Coach Savoy's book, who took the sabbatical, I had that in my head. Um, I had I had my latest contract. It was basically I couldn't get any more money. Not that we were making a lot of money, but that was like the most they could give me. So I said, okay, well, how about I get a year sabbatical where you give me a portion of my salary and I go to somewhere and and learn. And they agreed to that. So that was great. I decided to take it after that 2013 championship game loss to Carlton because um, we had seven seniors graduating. So I was like, this is a good time to take a year off and regroup. I thought I could volunteer in the NBA. That was my plan, just volunteer with an NBA team for a year. I had heard that uh, Ken Olenek did that way back with the Raptors, Kelly's dad. Right. Turns out times had changed. Um, I didn't get one response from the 30 teams, uh, not even a sorry, not even like a got your email, but we'll get back to you. Don't call us. We'll call you. Not one response. Right. So I was kind of frustrated by that, not knowing what I was going to do. That spring, I was working with Coach Rana with the U19s, which is something we, maybe my second or third year with them. And he said, why don't you try the G League or the D League at the time? Because they aren't as resourced and they need help and you never know. So he had one contact, um, Coach of Bakersfield named Will Voigt. And I had one guy on my Facebook uh, page uh, named Mike Taylor, who was the main Red Clouds coach. So I messaged both these guys, explained what I was trying to do. I wasn't looking for money. Uh, Coach Voigt said, why don't you come down to Bakersfield and interview? Um, I think I talked to him for maybe seven minutes in his office. And then he, his assistant took me out to work a guy out. Um, kid ended up getting food poisoning halfway through the workout and going to the hospital. Uh, I'm still friends with that assistant coach. He's, a, he's now an assistant with the G League Ignite. Um, so we laugh about it every time I see him. No doubt. But Coach Voigt basically said, hey, you can come in, but you're, you're only going to be like 
driving the bus, doing the laundry, um, setting up for practice. There's going to be no basketball stuff. I said, okay, cool. And then I hit up Mike Taylor in Maine, and he basically said the exact same thing, but I could work guys out after practice. Like He'd use me to work guys out. So I said, great, I'm, go- I'm in. And plus, Maine was closer to home. So I packed up my dog, uh, Moses, at the time, and uh, drove out to Maine, and that's just what I did. I volunteered. I drove the bus. I did the laundry, um, set the gym up, cleaned the locker rooms, uh, did some video, which was nice to learn that. And after practice, I would work guys out. One of the guys I would work out after practice was, was named Chris Babb, a uh, rookie out of Iowa State. And the Celtics were interested in Chris Babb. So the front office, um, the GM of the Red Claws, which is also Celtics front office guy, Dave Lewin, he told me basically how to help Chris Babb. Like, this is what we're looking for. If he's going to get a 10-day, it's going to have to be doing this stuff. So I would watch film with him on, that, on those topics. I would work on it in, in the workouts, and he ended up getting a 10-day that year, which was all credit to him, not to me. Um, but it kind of alerted the Celtics that I was a guy that would listen and, and do what they ask and work hard, and they saw what I was doing. They knew I had some experience. So when, when Coach Taylor left that summer, the Celtics wanted someone that could just run the team without having to to babysit the coach, basically. Like someone had had been through – had some experience as a head coach. So I had 10 years experience and uh, had the year behind me volunteering and uh, they interviewed me and they offered the job to two other people. And then those, those both turned them down and I was the third choice. So uh, all three jobs at this point in time that I, that I had in my career were all, I was never the first choice, but um, I always left on my own terms, which was, which was nice. Well, the common theme is uh, you were doing whatever it took. I mean, you talk about driving bus, folding towels, like, whatever, it didn't matter, right? And I just think that speaks to, you know, you were just, you were grinding and just knew that you probably deep down knew an opportunity was coming, right? Like it was just, you're going to put the work in and then good things happen. So I just think that, and uh, that speaks lots. Um, and then, you know, you make the staff, join the staff for the 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 Boston Celtics, man. It's like, you know, you're, I know you're a Knicks fan, but, um, <laughs> you know, like, Take me through that because that's just like it's the Boston fucking Celtics, man. Like this is incredible, right? Like what uh, – just just talk about that. Basketball fans ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook. The biggest tournament in college basketball is here. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus – For a limited time, all customers can score a no-sweat bet during round one and two of the NCAA tournament. Go to the app, opt in, and place a no-sweat bet this weekend. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Can Zach Eady and the Purdue Boilermakers take it and go all the way? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code XXX. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly, win or lose. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code XXX. Yeah, so, I mean, we we did pretty well at Maine, and I thought I had a pretty good relationship with the Celtics guys. I remember after my second year, Coach Stevens sent me to – LA to work out Jalen Brown after he was drafted. And I was still the G League coach. So I took that as a as a you know pretty good sign of their trust in me. Um, 
but they still never called me up. There just wasn't space on the staff. No one really left during those three years. And uh, I remember after my second year, I my contract was up, and they wanted me to sign a new contract. And I asked if I could get a two-year contract with the second year guaranteed to be in Boston. And they said that that's, that works for us. So, um, so going to my third year, man, I knew I'd be in Boston the following year, which was nice because uh, some of the flights and the bus rides are getting a little bit old, but I could, I knew there was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And that summer they called me up, and uh, first two years I spent behind the bench. But in, in Coach Stevens' staff, that doesn't really make a big difference. The guys behind the bench and the guys in the front of the bench are all contributing and doing a lot of the same things. So it was a great experience. Um, I had scouting responsibilities, which was good. I was mainly on the offensive side of the ball. I remember telling uh, Dave Smart what my job was, and he thought I was joking because I guess he didn't think too highly of my offense at Lakehead. Right. Um, but I guess he had some small amount of respect for for our defense. So anyway, I, I had learned a lot in three years, so I was I, was, I felt that I was good enough to do the job. Uh, and then we had players assigned to us, so I was assigned uh, Gordon Hayward and and Shemi Ojale. So my first real task was to go to San Diego and work Gordon out. Um, Kawhi Leonard was working out in the other court, the same gym for a couple weeks. Um, and it's one of those times where you're like, stay locked in. Like, you, you know, you're here for a reason. You're here to help this guy. But at the same time, you're like, I'm from Morrell and, uh, right. I'm working on Gordon Hayward and, and Kawhi's over there working out next to us. So it's kind of a cool intro to it. Um, the other guy that I had assigned to me was Shemi Ojale, who was a second round pick that year. Shemi ended up playing four years in Boston, and um, we became good friends. He's now one of my son's godfathers. So cool. Um, it's nice to have those relationships that come as a result of, of the work that you do too. So um, that year we went to the conference finals, playing against LeBron in, the, in, in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals in the Garden. I can still remember walking over from my apartment to the game, again, trying to realize how the heck did I get here, um, but also trying to figure out if I can – help get two more points, you know, that game. Um, and it was going to be tough because Kevin Love got hurt and he wasn't playing. So that was how we got the extra points going, going at him. Um, That's Nick, the infamous Kelly O uh, lock up there. That was, uh, no, that was the year before. Okay. Uh, sorry. I, I was, unfortunately, I never got to coach Kelly. He was, my last year in Maine was his last year in Boston. I, they, they, when they called me up, that was his last playoff series, but he had the okay. big game seven against uh, the Wizards, I want to say. Right, yeah. And um, the Kevin Love deal, too, yeah. So, um, yeah, we got lucky. We had, a, we had a good run. We had a lot of success. The Kyrie thing was interesting. It wasn't the best for winning games, but it was pretty good for stories um, to tell and things like that. And then probably the highlight of my time there for me was the bubble. because um, Right. For me, that was kind of a historic event, you know, obviously with the pandemic and something like that had never happened before, but we land in, in Orlando and once we get checked into the bubble and clear a little quarantine that we had to do, like we're in a, we're on a resort with the best players and coaches in the world for almost three months. So that was an awesome experience. And we just happened to make a good run that year too, making the, the conference finals again. Probably also one of my biggest regrets was losing that series. Uh, I'd like to have it back. Miami got us with their zone, and we didn't really handle it as well as I thought we should have. But it was nice to beat the Raptors that series uh, before right. that, and 
um, just to be there and experience it was awesome. The, the next year we had some bad luck and it's funny. You think uh, at that point in time, I thought I'd be there for the next 10, 12 years and we lose. We happened to catch Brooklyn on the only two weeks where they had Harden, Harden, Kyrie and Durant all playing. And uh, you know, we had Jalen Brown out. We had Rob Williams out first round of the playoffs. We lose four, one. Go in the next day for eggs and meetings, and, and Brad calls like an emergency meeting and tells us that he's moving up to, to be president. And there's going to be a new coach, and um, that was the end of it. So uh, that's the way the business goes. I wasn't kept by the new coach. I had no relationship with him, and uh, and uh, got a little taste of the other side of the business that day. Did you get an opportunity to interview? Um, like how did that look when when Brad announced that he was going up to the front office? Um, did they because they hired Ime, right? Yeah. No, he he interviewed Was he pre-hired or did or did you get an opportunity to interview? He he gave me and 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 Joe Mazzula, ironically. I actually hired Joe in Maine. Okay. As an assistant and then helped get him on to our staff in Boston. Thought he was obviously an incredible coach and person, and that that's obviously wasn't a uh, that much of a reach for me to, to think that based on what he's doing now. So Joe and I both got a chance to interview with Brad, but I think it was more just Brad giving us a chance to get the experience. Um, like there was no, I knew I was not going to be coaching the Celtics the following year, but I took the experience to interview. And then uh, I was able to get an interview with the wizards for their head coaching job, which I don't think I did it very well on. Um but again, I thought I was going to be good. Like I was find another job, no problem. And then the phone stops ringing after that. So it was a, it was a lesson in um, doing a better job with networking. It was a lesson in appreciating what you have. Um, it was a lesson in not taking anything for granted, you know. So I learned those lessons kind of a hard way. But I mean, no one's shedding any tears for me, which is fine. Uh, I'm glad I learned them, and I hope I get another chance here soon to. Um, be at that same level but it was it was a good experience for me to to go through those interviews and then to also go through the the, the time of not knowing what was going to happen because that's you know most coaches either get fired or die they don't get a chance to be uh, successful their whole time or, or go from one job to the next so um, I think those lessons will definitely help me or have helped me already well that just kind of brings up a question for me I guess like I know what a job interview would look like say at my job but for you in that role and you're sitting down to interview for like an NBA head coach job, like are they asking you like, are they just want to see what your philosophies are like offensively, defensively, like what are they like specifically kind of gearing it towards? Yeah, it's different. I mean, I've had those two interviews and then I had the interview in Perth. Um, and since Lakehead, that's really the only three interviews I've had. I thought I did really well in the Perth one because I did I did poorly in the other ones in the in the Boston and the Washington one. I learned I learned quite a bit, um, but basically I think you go into them. Sometimes they give you a little bit of a sneak peek, like hey, we're going to ask you these things, right. have this stuff ready, but there's going to be some other stuff that we talk about too. And then other times, like you know, with uh, with with Boston, I Brad didn't give me anything. I mean, we we worked together for seven years. And I almost felt stupid going in there, like to talk about philosophies. He's heard me, you know, crying about this or or preaching about that for for four to seven years. So we talked about basketball a little bit, um, but it was pretty it was pretty like informal. 
Right. The Wizards were, they gave me a, a template of what they're going to go through, and I had to prepare something for that. Um, in hindsight, I think I could have steered the interview to the areas that they gave me that I felt I was stronger in and could talk about better because I, I really struggled in the areas that I wasn't as strong in. And uh, obviously, you got, you got to pay the piper at some point in time. But uh, as far as first impressions goes, that was what I learned there. Um, because once the Perth interview came around, I knew I was good at player development. I knew they had a kid named Luke Travers who ended up getting drafted by the Cavs last last June after our season. Um, and I focused all, all I could on player development and how I would help Luke Travers get to the NBA and how he reminded me of Gordon Hayward. And I had video of both, you know, mirroring each other. And uh, I was just way more prepared, but I, I kept it or tried to steer it to the things that I knew um, – I was better at, I guess. Yeah, well, good insight, man. That's uh, incredible stuff. And then, well, we mentioned Salt Lake City and, you know, obviously Perth. Um, you know, do you just you just approach each day like it's a new day, just trying to get better? And, and like, I know you mentioned you want to kind of get that next shot, uh, get on an NBA bench. Like, you're just working every day to, to get that chance. What is What does your day look like? Yeah, I mean, it's a different approach. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not as focused on the next job or moving up. I'm trying to just do the best I can and trust it'll take care of itself. So, um, you know, every day is just I try to do a better job with relationships. That's just one thing that the Celtics told me that, you know, my X's and O's and things like that were fine or good, but um, I could do a better job with building relationships with the players, with the other staff. Um, I always thought I did a good job with the guys who were assigned to me. You know, obviously – Shemmy's Max's godfather and um, Gordon and I are still good friends, but, you know, I probably don't know the Jalen Browns and the Marcus Smarts as well as I could have if I spent more time building that. So that was one thing. I've been trying to do a better job with that this year with my guys here in Salt Lake. And it's nice because I can actually offer them some experience that might help them. Um, you know, they we have a guy like Frank Jackson who spent four years in the NBA and now is out. So I feel like I have a lot in common with him from my experience last summer and trying to help him fight through that and kind of reshift his focus. Like I had to do. Uh, then we have other guys who are rookies right out of college, have no idea how to be pros. And I've spent a lot of time around some pretty good pros so I can share some stories or things that I've seen other guys do to help them. And uh, even our coaches that we have a young coaching staff that, doesn't have a whole lot of experience, so I can help them. You know, here's some good drills to work on this, or here's a good way to approach getting through to this guy about this other thing. And um, and even our GM, our GM in Salt Lake, Marquise Newman, he's a very talented front office guy. He's young. It's his first chance at being a GM. And I was fortunate enough to work for an awesome GM in Maine and Dave Lewin and then uh, Danny Ainge, who's probably one of the best of all time. So even just, hey, Danny would do it this way or, you know, I remember Dave did this in Maine. It was really good. Um, so I felt like in, in trying to improve myself, I, I felt like I could help these other people, you know, advance their own career and get better. And not that I'm any kind of expert on anything, but just I'm old. <laughs> I've been around <laughs> you know, years now. So um, uh, someone said the other day, the difference between being wise and being smart is wise people learn from other people's mistakes and smart people learn only learn from their own. So you'd, you'd rather be wise. So I try to share all, all my mistakes and all the mistakes I've seen and let the guys figure it out for themselves. But um, it's been, it's been good that way. And 
like I said, we took the same approach in Maine with our player development and trying to build a good culture here. And, and it was tough at first, but now it's, now it's really fun. We have a good group that play together, they play the right way. And um, I always say in the G league, either, either everyone eats or everyone starves. If you play together, everyone can eat. And if uh, you go out for your own, um, everyone's probably going to starve and not look as well, as good as they could. And the whole, the whole goal of the G league is to look as good as you can um, and prove to a, team with money, NBA or EuroLeague or wherever that you can contribute to winning because at the end of the day at those levels, winning is all that matters. So that's the those are the messages that I've been trying to hammer to myself and to the team every day. Yeah, wow, great stuff, man. Uh Scott here on Canada Hoops. We love to chat Canada basketball, especially with guests who have represented the program, which you have obviously done. You know, for you personally, where does coaching for Canada basketball rank for you in your impressive career this far, man? Oh, it's definitely one of the things I'm most proud of. Um, especially when I'm here, you know, it's funny, like when, when you're in Canada and you're from PEI, you look at Ontario and Halifax as the enemy. Like those guys are the guys you're competing against. But right. as soon as you cross the border, like we're all on the same team. Um, so being down here for the last nine, 10 years, it's, I take great pride in in any association with Team Canada that I, I have, but also in Canadians that are doing well. Um, the staffs that I've been on get sick of me saying, interrupting a conversation about a certain player to say he's Canadian, or <laughs> yeah. or, or, or anyway, a, a movie star or a singer, or anything. I'm like, oh, that person's Canadian. Now I'll put my hand up. Let's say, let me guess, they're Canadian. Um, so, but I, I laugh it off. I'm not going to stop doing it. I'm I'm very proud of. Um, people that we have down here, I follow everyone that's that's doing their thing, whether it be a video coordinator or uh, an all-star point guard from Oklahoma City. Like, doesn't matter. So, yeah, it ranks pretty high for me. Um, I had a couple. I, had, I think I did six, seven years in a row, and then when we started having kids, I had to take a couple summers off, but uh, made it even that much more sweeter last summer, getting a chance to be a part of the the Global Jam in Toronto, and then the, the America Cup in Brazil. Uh, brought all those feelings back and um, hope I can, hopefully I can keep going every year because not only is it very prideful and, and it means something to you as a Canadian because you're out there trying to prove that we're amongst the best in this sport uh, in the world and it's been an uphill battle, but also the people involved with Canada basketball become some of my best friends. And, uh, you know, when you're all doing your own thing during the season, it's nice to have that two, three, four weeks where you can – reset and, and work together on uh, something that you all have in common in terms of being proud to be a Canadian basketball person. Yeah. You hit on a couple of points I had there, man. Like uh, I know you coached uh, with Nate and his staff uh, at the global jam, the America and Nate's working for uh, Nick nurse. Who's obviously coaching the senior men's team and Canada basketball and the Raptors have the agreement to have Nate and Nate go coach the team in the windows right during the season. Um, so I was I was stoked to see you back, you know, with with the Global Jam and that age group, and obviously America. Uh, you know, when when you get together in the summers now, uh, how much are you guys bouncing, you know, tactics off each other? So if you're with Nate, you know, he's got ideas and uh, concepts he probably uses from from Nick Nurse, and then you have concepts from now with the Stars and the Jazz. Like when you guys come together, are you guys just always just brainstorming and giving each other ideas like how does that look as a as a staff from your you know with your winter jobs 
No, 100%. Um, just to use the Global Jam as an example, we had Nate, myself, Dave DeVero from from TMU now. It used to be Ryerson. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Dave and I have had a lot of battles over the years, too, and I have a lot of respect for him. And then Jamie McNeely, who's taken a whole other viewpoint, being an NCAA coach with TCU. So we have, like, four different opinions, and we're all good friends, so like, there's no danger of hurting someone's feelings by disagreeing or arguing. And I actually tell Nate when he asked me to be on the staff, I said, I'm going to argue with you every point. Like we're going to argue every time, everything that comes up, we're going to argue about it. And, but I said, and he didn't have to say, it, he knew when that coaches meeting is over, whatever we decide on, I'm going to be teaching that a hundred percent, whether it's the exact thing that I wanted or the complete opposite of what I wanted. So um, it's great to get the opinions. You learn some, maybe you meet in the middle on a lot of things and, and figure out a whole new way to do something. I know I'm doing stuff with the stars right now that I picked up from Nate and um, you know, we have that kind of relationship where he worked for me first. Um, but he could also tell me, Hey, you, you got to smarten up and do this better or, or whatever. And I'm not going to take offense to it. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to it because he's a good friend of mine and I trust him. And, uh, I was honored to be able to work for him and his first chance to be a head coach at that level because it meant a lot to him. I know that. Right. And it's a big thing for, for Canada basketball. I think he's the first, the first um, black head coach of the senior team at the America cup. So I was, I was proud to just be able to help him out and be there for him. Cause I know how hard he's worked to get to that point. Yeah. You know, um, before the America cup tournament, um, but I was at the qualifier in Victoria and, uh, I was obviously on the staff there, but I ran into him and, and Shep, who I've had on the podcast, and then uh, Shay and Nikhil after the game. They're having a bite to eat, and then we just chatted for a few minutes outside afterwards. But uh, I could tell in that circle, like Nate is a guy that uh, the guys really respect and gravitate towards and really value, so I thought that was cool to see. And then obviously when he got the opportunity to lead the team in the America Cup, uh, that is really cool. I uh, thought that was special. I was wondering, um, do you have a favorite memory or team so far with the program that stands out for you? Um, group of players or your staff, something that really sticks with you? Yeah, it's tough. I, I was trying to think about all that stuff just in, in getting ready to talk to you. And it's hard. It's hard to single out any of the, the teams or the years. I mean, I've had the chance to work with guys like Wiggins and, and Trey Lyles and Tyler Ennis. I love those guys. And, but I also loved working with like guys like Braxton Bunce, who you probably never even heard of. Um, oh, I know the name. Yeah. So yeah, like I have a lot of good memories from all those players and coaches. Um, it was pretty cool last year in Perth. I get to Perth and there's two guys, Mikhail McIntosh playing for Tasmania and Xavier Rattan Mays playing for Illawarra. And we worked together in like, I don't know what year, what, 2014 U19s. And, you know, I kept in touch with them a little bit, but it was really cool to like meet again on the other side of the world and, and share that experience. Um, so, no, every team's special. Um, the Global Jam, I, I do kind of have a special place for because it was the kind of first of its kind. Right. First time I got a chance to really work with Team Canada in Canada. Um, I think in 2017 or 18, I worked with Coach Triano, and we had a couple games in Canada as part of the, the qualifying. But that was the first real 
event that was, you know, it was on TV and they tried to hype it up. And um, I thought it was really cool that they were, they were trying to make that happen. So I was excited about that. And that's something that if it keeps going, I'll be excited to work for anytime because it's, uh, it's also less flights. Yeah, yeah. It's uh... <laughs> one, one flight to Toronto is a lot easier than four flights to middle of nowhere Brazil. So um, for me, who hates flying and hates all that kind of stuff, it was it was a great experience to be able to enjoy all that stuff, but not have to worry about the the other things. Yeah, other people have said that too. Where you know it was right at home and and close, so uh, they enjoyed that. There was uh, guys playing on that team that had the opportunity to play at home in front of family for the first time in like three or four years because they're playing in the States or wherever they're playing. Right. So yeah. um, I had Michael Bartlett join us who's become a friend and uh, yeah, he just, that was a big memory for him. Just like the families were grateful that they got the opportunity to see their, their kids play at home. Um, do you have a top five or favorite five of all time for Canada basketball, Scott? That was a tough one too. Um, so I thought I thought about it quite a bit because you mentioned it to me, and um, I felt like I could go my top five, but it's obviously personally biased. Um, well, it should be it's your five month. Yeah, no fair. So yeah, I don't really have a relationship with Ken Shields, but I thought I'd put him on there because he, like, he's the roots of the tree right the the coaching tree and he kind of started it all and he was the first big name and he's still influential i just bought a book not a big reader admittedly i haven't read a book probably since before my son was born um but i listen to a lot of podcasts and you can listen to podcasts while you watch film that's my excuse it's it's more efficient than reading Um, so i I put shields on there just because he's kind of like the grandfather or the roots of the tree or whatever term you want to use um i'd put jay triano on there because he's done it from both a player and a coach. Um, sure. In 1985, I want to say, Coach Donahue brought my dad in as a guest coach for the summer. Cool. And as soon as I can still remember, as soon as the bell rang the last day of school, my mom picked me up, went to the airport, flew to Toronto for the training camp, and I got to be the ball boy for whatever, three, four weeks. And I can still remember getting Jay's autograph. Um, I remember going to Coach Donahue's house. I remember Storm and Norman Clark, who I ended up working for with U19s uh, yeah. with Roy one year, which is also hilarious, like how that comes around. Um, Pasquale, I knew all those names. So Trano not only played with those guys, but he a lot of the guys he played with went on to become coaches. And when Jay became national team coach, a lot of his players are now the big names, you know, in coaching or development and, think, and just goes on and on. Plus, he was the first real – Canadian coach in the NBA, first head coach for sure. Right. I think him being named head coach was something that um, really stuck with me. Um, Steve Nash is the obvious one everyone's going to say. I remember sitting in my living room in Thunder Bay when he was named MVP. And I remember I I started crying. And it wasn't that I was sad, but I was like, I kind of had a lot of regret at that moment. I went back to saying how my goal was to play for UPEI. And here is this guy from an island on the other side of the country, small right. island that just chased his dreams and didn't say no. And here he is MVP of the NBA. I never would have been MVP of the NBA, but I felt in that moment that I might have sold myself short. You know, I could have right. did better maybe. Who knows? This guy, I wish I had this guy as a, as a role model earlier when I was younger. So 
I know he impacted a lot of other younger kids at the time that way and it made me sad that I missed it, I guess. Um, but when Coach Triano was named coach of the Raptors, I said, okay, I'm, I'm a coach now. I'm a young coach. I'm not going to make that mistake twice. So I set my goals high because of those two um, just in a different way. So those three are definitely going to be on it, Shields, Triano, Nash. And then I'm going to go with the future. Um, and I'm putting Shea on there, SGA. For sure. I think he's our next guy. That's not the boldest of statements. I think he's a great person. Um, and he's a great guy to take the torch for our country and hopefully lead it to an even elevated level of what we've seen so far. I know we're all hoping for that. And I think he's the guy to do it because he has some charisma. He has a personality that guys will follow. And he's one of the best in the game uh, right now. And a great, great kid. Um, shouldn't say kid. He's a great young man, I guess. Uh, right. So I'll put him on there. And then my fifth spot, I don't know. I kind of want to leave it open. Um, and see who the next next one is. You know what I mean? Whether it's a coach or a player. I thought about putting Zach Eady on there, but I think that's um, whatever the, the term is for bias of things that happened recently, recency bias. Well, he's going to be – he'll be player of the year, no question, right? So he's so. going to be player of the year in the, in the NCAA, which is probably the first time that's happened for a Canadian. I believe it is, yeah. Um, but can you can you say that's bigger than Bennett or Wiggins going number one? I don't think you can do that. Um, all, of, all, of them are, all of them are great, right? Um, right? So, yeah, it's a tough one. I think I'd like to leave it open, and then uh, maybe in five years, if you have me back on, I'll have I'll have the better answer for you. Uh, uh, it'll, maybe, be, it'll be sooner than five years. I'll have you back. We'll circle back to that. Maybe it's cool. Nate, maybe it's Nate Mitchell. You know what I mean? Maybe it's someone else that's going to do something special. Um, I didn't want to put uh, like Vince Carter or the Raptors or Coach Nurse on there, even though they've had a major impact on Canada basketball. Right. I figured the list should be reserved for pure Canadians. Um, so there's a lot of options that could, could have been on there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it open and we'll see what happens. Oh, that's cool. Hey, listen, I mean Steve's on everybody's five, uh, more or less. Um, Never had a Ken Shields reference, which I really like. Uh, underrated uh, person in the in the game in this country for sure. Um, and with the Shea thing, like uh, he is that next guy, no doubt. And um, I think I got like a solid four that I like, and I think Shea is probably gonna start locking up my five here pretty soon. Who's your Who's your other four? Well, Steve, like. Yeah. I'm forty. I'm forty-one, man. Steve is like he's the guy, right? So, um, uh, real quick for you, my love for the program really started like obviously with the Olympic team in two thousand, but the summer before, they were playing an exhibition game in Vancouver. We were at Nike Nationals. Um, like I played in the for the Yukon growing up, and so we go to all these tournaments. Kind of we're a small like PEI, right? So. Steve is there, Mike Meeks is there, Todd McCullough, Rowan Barrett. And just seeing Steve, like, on the floor at that age, like, was just, that's my guy, right? So, yeah. Um, I love, I'm a big Corey Joseph fan. Corey's repped the program really hard for years. Uh, you know, coming off, like, a, an NBA championship with the Spurs, he'll still play for Canada. Um, and going to the era that didn't get a lot of love, uh, the money, the program didn't have a lot of money. I love Carl English. Carl's, uh, you know, he was a gunner and I liked his style and he always tried to, uh, 
play as much as he could. And, you know, his story, much like you, small, small place, and I'm from a small place. So Carl's story really resonated. And then um, the fourth, for sure, just because of this window and cycle right now. Uh, <coughs> and Kelly, Kelly Olenek for me, um, you know, I just think he's going to be really big for the World Cup this summer and what he does as a big man and uh, passing the ball and playing that FIBA game. And I have um, ties to Kamloops as well. So uh, Kamloops isn't a huge place. So for Kelly to make it out of there. Uh, and yeah, Shea, like, here, I'll put my coaching hat on. When you watch Shea, like in Victoria, I just loved how, like, he never gets sped up. He never lets the defense beat him up. He plays at his pace no matter what. And he's just like, it's going to be that that pace, that style the entire game. Like he never gets out of control. And I just think, yeah, he's going to lead us to a really good spot. So that's my four slash five right now for sure. No, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Shay, Shay's been like that since he was a kid. I first seen him, I think it was 2016. It was my first uh, summer on the senior team. We went to Manila for the qualifiers. We ended up losing to France in the final of the tournament. But Shay and RJ were both kind of on the edge of the roster, and they spent a lot of time with us. And, man, he he was impressive even then just in terms of, like you say, he doesn't get sped up. I feel like after eight years in the G League and the NBA, the number one thing that rookie point guards and young point guards do is they go too fast. Right. He had already – figured that out or never maybe never had to figure it out by the time he was 16 17 years old so that was a good sign yeah no doubt uh hey who would you like to see join us on canada hoops got sometime somebody that's got a a good canada basketball story man i mean uh i saw someone trying to uh track down garachi on twitter today i think he'd be probably be a pretty good one for some for some good laughs i, I love pete um and he was on that 2000 team. Yeah, glad I didn't have to play against him because I, I probably wouldn't be as pretty as I am today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, any of those guys, I think it'd be cool to get some of the. I'm I'm obviously maritime biased, so we have two guys that are on the cusp of the NBA, and Nate Darling and Lindell Wigington. Um, so those guys, I'm hoping will make it. Maybe they would be a good guest someday. Um, yeah. Both them, both them have scored forty against my team this year, so they're not really being, being very hospitable um, to the fellow Maritimers. Right. Um, it's funny the, when you're going through your list. I was just thinking about how small the basketball community really is. Uh, obviously, I've got a chance to work with Corey a little bit, and I agree with what you said. He's been a staple for us, uh, us in terms of Team Canada, because right. um, we're we're all on the same passport. But he's been there every time. Um, Kelly, same thing. I'm yeah. really happy that Kelly's in Utah. I'm obviously not around him every day, but we've had a lot of good laughs, um, you know, this, this season when, when I've been around. And then Carl, being from Newfoundland, uh, Carl's cousin Mark was my assistant at Lakehead. He's okay. now, now the Memorial Women's Head Coach. That's right, yeah. But when I got to Utah, I'm telling some story one day about Carl or Carl was involved in the story, or maybe I'm just listing Canadians. I, I don't know what we were doing. And the GM of the jazz, Justin Zanuck, who's like number two, but underneath Danny um, says, Oh, I, I was Carl's agent when he played. What? So I said, what? He's <laughs> so Justin was an agent before he got to the front office. Okay. Carl was one of his 
one of his guys. I think he had Levon Kendall too. Oh wow! Um, from BC because he knew all about. Um, I forget what band his dad was in. Was it Doug and the Slugs? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I've had Levon on too. So, so <clears throat> it's just crazy how. Yeah, yeah. You live long enough, and you're in the game long enough. All those people are connected in some way, and uh, yeah, we've had some pretty good laughs about you know Carl's Carl's dyed hair and um, stuff like that back when he played. But I got a lot of respect for Carl too because he. He was a guy, like I said, I maybe sold myself short. He did not do that. He went to every length he could and overcame a lot of obstacles to get where he was. And um, basically, one of the best players in the world, not in the NBA, you know, during his prime. So, yeah, uh, pretty cool. Actually, the year I volunteered in Maine, there was another guy, the same age. We were both thirty-five. We called ourselves the we called ourselves the uh, league's oldest interns. <laughs> and uh, he had just finished playing in Spain. So he played 10 years in Spain. I coached 10 years at Lakehead, and we both just said, okay, let's volunteer at Maine, see what we can do. But he was teammates with Carl in Grand Canaria for a number wow. of years. Um, and Jim, his name is Jim Moran. He actually is an assistant coach with the Pistons right now. So just a small, small world. I could go on and on, and I won't, won't bore everyone with my my no, it, my six degrees of separation to everyone. But it's just it's cool. cool. I love it, man. That's why uh... – I was excited to have you on. I know, uh, like my wife's from Cape Breton, so she's a maritimer. And then, um, oh god, she loves, uh, yeah. Tell me about it. So she, uh, <laughs> she loves, uh, like she loves Carl, like story, right? And and um, Carl was the very first guest on the podcast, Scott. And so I had kind of a bit of a connection to Carl over the like, supporting the program. And, and yeah, you got it, bud. And he's like, he's first guy to be on, and. Um, I was a terrible host. It was my first episode. So she's not, my wife's kind of after me like, well, you better get Carl back on soon. Like, you know, cause I'm better and show Carl some love. Yeah. So, uh, and that's, you know, you bring up great points cause the Canada basketball community is very small and I've gotten to kind of meet people and make connections and super grateful for that. And, um, you know, I just love the brand and I'm going to rock with it till you put me in the dirt. So, uh, it's just always cool to hear the stories. So I appreciate you sharing that, man. Uh, any shout outs? Thank you before I get you out of here. And we, we truly appreciate you joining us, man. Well, since we're talking about Canada basketball, I'll probably just shout out um, the people that helped me get involved with it. And the first one is Roy Rana. Yeah. Um, and ironically enough, I was a second choice for him to be an assistant that year, too. Uh, he, wanted, he wanted John Campbell, who's my guy. And John, John went to uh, Great Britain with Dave Smart that summer. So I got lucky and got on and stayed on for a little bit. So Roy was big for me. Um, obviously Rowan, um, Greg Francis let me volunteer at his training camp the year before. Um, he had a team with, with Pangos on and a couple other guys. I forget what the exact team it was. Um, coach Triano called me, uh, summer of 2016. I, I was starting to get busy with the pro stuff, so I couldn't do U19s anymore. And, um, he asked me to jump on their staff in, in that year in Manila, which was an awesome experience that I still talk about all the time. Um, and then my guy, Nate, and Coach Nurse this year getting me back in. So I'll just give those guys a thank you and, and appreciate them keeping me involved and everything they do. And then uh, probably I would suggest – if I had one suggestion of someone to get on your podcast to talk about Canada basketball, it would be James DePoe. Um, and if you don't know who James is, he's been the manager of 
multiple, multiple teams. He's a manager of the senior team now. Um, he's been all over the world. He was part of Roy's uh, world championship team, U19s. Okay. Um, and he's been the manager of probably eight of the nine years I've been involved. He's been the manager of the team. He's a great person. Uh, he bleeds red and blue, red being the Canada and blue being the Humber. Right. Humber College. And uh, I think you probably have more stories than anyone in the country about uh, the history and, and things that went on with Canada basketball. So I can, I can give you his contact if you need it later, but I, he's uh he's the man and, and he's been around and seen everything. That's cool. I'm pretty, I, I think he follows the podcast. I think I've, I've seen his name, so I'll have to uh, reach out and, and support him there. Um, yeah, Scott, all the best to you and your family, man. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, we'd love to see you uh, making your mark uh, with the stars right now and, and big things to come, man. You'll always be a friend of Canada Hoops. Appreciate you. No, likewise, man. Appreciate what you're doing. And just an honor to be uh, on the same same program as a lot of those guys you've mentioned. So I, I appreciate you giving me a shout. And um, we'll, we'll look forward to hopefully seeing you this summer. Yeah, you bet you. That's a wrap on another episode of Canada Hoops. I want to thank Coach Scott Morrison for pulling up. Thank you for listening. Download, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcast. Thank you to the Basketball Podcast Network. Keep supporting Canada basketball and our Canadian coaches and players, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Canada Hoops.